0: Well, it's just a wonderful opportunity again to be here with you this morning. If you uh, had not been reading in the announcements, you might be expecting Thomas Hope this morning, but I get to fill in for him. So, uh, you know, that might not be what you expect to be a great Sunday, but let's just hang in there together, okay? So, uh, yeah, my name is Dave Foster, and I'm a pastor of Family Ministries here at Parkview. And uh, I have the privilege of working with some amazing people with uh, Mike DeWard, the director of the Parkview Student Ministries, with Rhonda Crosser, who is the director of our children's ministries, and uh, it's just, just been a real privilege to serve with them, um, with Rhonda especially over the last 10 years, and Mike with the last couple of years, but uh, they're, they're amazing. But now COVID has come along. And it's, it's added some twists to that. It makes it a little more difficult, doesn't it, when we're trying to do work from home. And, you know, for especially the early part of COVID, my wife and I stayed pretty isolated. We're in that age bracket where uh, we're warned not to be, you know, too out there. But uh, so we've been doing ministry, whether that's counseling, uh, discipleship, or overseeing different ministries here on Zoom. And uh, that is a modern convenience, or it is a tool of Satan. I haven't determined yet which one it is. But it makes life very difficult in some ways. that uh, that takes us right into what we're talking about this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And uh, we've been looking at... Some of the things he is saying, but Paul and I, you know, in some ways, at least in our distance from the people that we care about, have the same thing in common. Paul is probably in Ephesus and he is separated from this church that he planted, that he founded, and that he cares so much about. Uh, and then while he's on his journeys, as Paul did, he went around to many cities establishing different churches, he gets word the church at Corinth is having troubles, possibly from the household of Chloe, probably from Stephanas. Uh, People are reporting to him who had intimate knowledge of what is happening at Corinth that there are some things to be concerned about. Now, in Paul's day, unlike ours, he didn't have Zoom, right? He didn't have Google Meet He had to just either go there in person, which wasn't easy. It was quite a hike, right? Um, Or he had to take a boat and go around uh, in the water. Either way, it was going to disrupt the plan that he had uh, already conceived of to go to this town and this town and this town. And now he has to go back and attune to uh, some things that were happening in Corinth. So Paul sets out to write some letters. Now the interesting thing is, and we're going to see this in our passage today, is that Paul had written a letter to the church at Corinth once already. And we're pretty sure that he addresses many of the same issues that we see in the book that we call 1 Corinthians. So in fact, what's going on here, and you stay with me, it's a little confusing, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually probably the second letter that Paul wrote to this church. The first letter is lost to history. No one knows where it's at, but he references it, and we're going to see that today. And then later on, he writes a third letter, often called the sorrowful letter, in which his heart is grieving for this church, which no matter what he seems to write to them, they don't seem to get it. But our book of 2 Corinthians is actually his fourth letter. So what we have in our Bibles as First and 2 Corinthians are really more accurately Second and fourth Corinthians and the first and third letters are lost and we have to do some extrapolation some Understanding of what possibly he could have been writing about uh, In order to make sense of some of the things that he is saying So Paul is struggling with this and he wants the best for this church But we've already read how they have divisions We've read that in the earlier chapters as we've been preaching through this book of first Corinthians and Paul is addressed that there is divisions among you, and that makes his heart sad. Remember, he said that some of you are claiming to be followers of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Jesus Christ, as if those three were even equal. There is all kinds of divisions, and Paul says you have to come together. Unity is super important for a church. But when we open to chapter 5, this letter takes a completely different tone. It goes into uh, a different emotional feel, right? The language that Paul uses in the original Greek in verse 1 is a very unique structure of how he uses these words. And he wants it to come booming out from the, the letter. Now remember, the chapter divisions and verses are artificial to the letter. Originally, this is just written whole. And, you know, that's something that I would just encourage all of us to do. Uh, when you have a good 20 minutes, is sit down and read this book of 1 Corinthians as if you're reading a letter. Ignore the chapter divisions. Uh, Go through, well, what's happening, Dave? Just keep going. Keep going. I can't pretend you're not here. (laughs) Because you are here. And now you're gone. Doing great. Yeah, thanks, thanks. So I hope you guys can hear. You want me to start over? So, going with verse one, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. It is actually reported. Can you hear that? Paul is trying to be emphatic here. He's trying to say, Listen, it's gotten all the way back to me in Ephesus that you're doing some things wrong. And he is saying it specifically this is in the area of sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia, uh, from which we get in modern day English the term pornography from. Uh, It just means a general misbehavior in the area of sex. Right? And he says this, I can't believe it. That's basically what he's saying. I can't believe that you guys have done this or are doing this. This is something that needs to be addressed. And it's a kind, as he continues to write, that is not tolerated even among pagans. Now you have to remember, the first century church, uh, in the days of Paul, they lived in a very sexual society, right? Greek culture, superimposed on top by Roman culture, they did not live by any sense of uh, ethical code like maybe the church had or the Jewish people had. It was not unusual for them to express themselves sexually. It was a very rough area. And this was somehow mixed in with a lot of the religions. The temple to Diana at Ephesus, where Paul currently is, you know, had its temple prostitutes. And uh, so much of what regular, everyday life was about dealt with sex. And Paul says... There is a kind of sexual immorality going on in the church of Corinth that even your neighbors, who do not know Jesus as their Savior, who do not belong to the church, they would be repulsed by this. They would not accept it. Paul is trying to tell them, listen, what you're doing, what you're allowing cannot be tolerated. For a man has his father's wife. A man has his father's wife. Paul is choosing to use a phraseology here, probably right out of the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's going back to Leviticus chapter 18, where the Levitical law is being handed down in the days of Moses. And it says in verse 7, that a man shall not uncover his father's nakedness. He cannot sleep with his wife. In verse 8, it specifically says with his father's wife referencing more than likely by the Hebrew construction there that this is a stepmom this is maybe the second wife it wasn't uncommon and it was part of the Mosaic law that was okay that if a man had a wife and she died you could marry another woman right and if she died you could marry another woman but in any case as a son you were not allowed to sleep sexually with that woman This is called incest and Paul said not even the Romans participate in this kind of thing in fact that's very true Uh, all you have to do is do a little reading back then and you will note that they would have taken this though they who are pagans would have said no this cannot be done but it's being done in the church and you are arrogant verse 2 Strong statement, you are arrogant. Now, Paul's already called this church arrogant. Pride was a huge problem with them. When I read this, it's just a couple of Greek words. You, arrogant, you're proud. You're not humbling yourself before your Lord. Paul had all kinds of reasons why he did not want this kind of sin happening. He didn't want the church to have this reputation. It might be tempting as we read through this to think, well, Paul's addressing a specific sin of a specific person. And we don't even know from this passage who this person is. Paul never mentions his name. He's just the one, that one who is. Paul's purposely keeping it in the dark. But they know. The church of Corinth, when they got his scroll and it was delivered to them and they unread it, and they started seeing what Paul was saying they they knew immediately who this person was most scholars believe that this person probably was a wealthy person was probably one of the leaders of the factions that Paul had been addressing in chapters 3 and 4 he was somebody that no one wanted to counter the the odds are that this is a story of a man who had married his stepmother or at least was living with her and having relationships with her, and then he became a believer in Christ. It was new for him, and everybody rejoiced. Oh, this is great. And because of his wealth and status in society, he was brought into the church and became part of it, and because he was used to probably giving orders and commands and having a certain level of authority, that he began to do the same thing in the church. No one came up to him and said, By the way, uh, your domestic situation, it can't be tolerated. We won't do that in the church. In fact, it runs counter to what the word of God says, what the prophets have said, what the Mosaic law says. So you need to quit that relationship. But nobody in that church was brave enough, was faithful enough to take that step Paul had several reasons why he's concerned here and I think we want to protect ourselves from saying Paul's really focused on this individual he's really mad at this man what Paul is saying is I'm concerned for you as a church it's you the church at Corinth that I am concerned for because yes it's bad enough that this individual is practicing this sin but let me tell you something what he's doing and the fact that you're allowing it to happen reflects upon everybody. I think there's three primary reasons that Paul is so concerned as, from his position as a church leader. One is that the Gentiles were watching. Remember, the, the Christian church was a new institution. It was setting itself up as something that had a, a message to give to people in the community, And Paul was concerned that if this sin was allowed to continue and word got out to the surrounding Gentiles that this was allowable, the salt would have lost its flavor. Remember, the salt, that's what we're supposed to be, that which adds a distinct flavor to our community. And the only way that salt acts like salt is when it's rubbing shoulders with that which needs flavor, spiced up with the righteousness and holiness of God, the offer of a free gospel of salvation. But if those people who are supposed to be the salt are living like the world that they're supposed to be flavoring, salt is worthless. It's lost its flavor. And Paul was worried that the Gentiles, they, they would see this and think, well, why would I want to become part of that group? What do I have to do with them? Second thing that I think Paul is concerned about is he's already dealing with a group of people called Judaizers uh, in the town of Galatia in which his epistle to the Galatians is uh, focused on. These are people who became believers, but they stayed with the old Jewish mores and customs. They were not excited about Paul's gospel of grace. They thought, well, no, we are believers in Jesus, but we are going to continue to practice circumcision, observing the Sabbath, the feast days, and so forth. We are going to stay in this room. And as far as Gentiles coming into the church, those who did not grow up in a Jewish home, we're a little concerned about that. They bring in so much sin. They bring in so much uncleanliness. And Paul has to continually go back to them and just theologically take them to the woodshed and say, no, this is not what Jesus' message was about. As far as Jesus is concerned, there's no Gentile, there are no Jews. There's only the people of God. But Paul knew that if those Judaizers ever got wind of what was happening in Corinth, oh, his, his gospel of free grace would come under heavy criticism. And the history of the church might have gone much differently than it did. And thirdly, Paul was probably worried about the Council at Jerusalem, basically his boss. You know, Paul appears there, you know, to give testimony to the fact that he has been taking the gospel. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. And that wasn't something that the Council of Jerusalem was real comfortable with. But nevertheless, Paul pushed on and eventually got their certifications, so to speak. And now. If they hear what the church at Corinth has done, this is going to give flesh to all of their fears about what might happen if we let people who are Gentiles come into the church. So Paul is super concerned here. The language is emphatic. He is repulsed by this sexual sin that this man is doing, but he is even more angry that the local church has not addressed it. They're allowing it to continue. Paul goes on and he says, for though absent in the body, Paul's saying, you know, I'm not with you. I'm, I'm away from you right now. He says, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, we don't know what that exactly means other than to say to the church at Corinth, this, this issue, I don't want you to hold like an elder meeting. I don't want you to have a congregational meeting. To determine if what this man is doing is right or if it's wrong paul says i am an apostle i founded this church and i'm telling you this is wrong it should not be tolerated why are we even having this discussion sounds like something my mom would say to me you know when i was a teenager well why are we having this discussion dave you know I'd, she'd say why don't you go mow the lawn i said well if i go mow the lawn.'" The grass will just grow back next week that makes no sense so we're not having this discussion you are going to mow the lawn well Paul is getting much more serious he's saying listen I've already pronounced judgment on this when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be saved In the day of the Lord what in the world does Paul mean here well you have to remember in the first century church to be a member of the church was really quite something Uh, you became a believer in Christ but then the you needed to get right involved probably with a house church somebody whose home was open to the believers to meet on a regular basis and in that structure of the church There was such intimacy there was such support people came to the mutual assistance and aid of each other Uh, goods were sold by those who had money so that they could contribute to the support of those who had none Uh, people who had lost loved ones uh, either to jail or beatings uh, or at certain periods of time persecution by the roman government They were there for the wife or the children that were left over. It was a true society. And what's more is Paul is saying there are spiritual benefits to belonging to a church. Jesus cares so much for the church. The church is the only instrument that Jesus established for his people. A lot of people don't like church. A lot of people choose churches like they choose which movie they want to go to which one's most entertaining but no not in this day there was the church and it was in the midst of a wicked and a sexually immoral and a very rough society that demanded emperor worship that demanded sacrifice to the gods as a Christian you were the atheist right because you didn't believe in the panoply of the Romans gods that wasn't you and life became very difficult and some of these people lost their positions right they didn't work they couldn't work because they no longer subscribed through the common cultures beliefs we see this with Luke right when he opens his gospel to Theophilus he is most excellent Theophilus probably an official title i don't know what he was for sure he might have been a mayor he might have been a city councilman Um, but by the time we get to the book of acts and luke is addressing that book he just says to theophilus obviously theophilus has lost his title you know COVID isn't unlike that, is it so many of us have lost our positions we can't work not because of government oppression but just because of the pandemic but it gives us a feel what it was like for that early church. We need each other. We're supposed to support each other. So when Paul says, to such a one, I deliver you to the uh, Satan, I don't think he means that I'm going to kill you, that I'm saying, God, take him out of here. Because what we're going to study today is the fact that this discipline that he's recommending is designed to be redemptive for the sinner. And he is saying, take this person and thrust them out of the church there's three imperative commands in this section of scripture right get rid of him cast out or cleanse the leaven and purge they're all in reference to this man and his sin but he's saying now when you as a church take action and you say to him you're no longer welcome here that meant something that meant something it meant the loss of all of the everyday things that the church can do for you, but it also removed the special protection that God always gives to his people. We don't think about that too often, do we? That when you belong to a church, when you are a faithful member of a church, when you have submitted your life to be in fellowship with other believers, that you are enjoying the blessings of God. The judgment of God is a harsh place to be and when you go out of the church when you turn your back on the things of God and you get pushed out on your own onto the street more or less and you no longer enjoy that protection from the father all kinds of things can happen but one thing's for sure you are no longer protected from the forces of spiritual darkness you are no longer protected from Satan Did you realize that you're enjoying that right now? If you're a member of this church, if you're a member of any church, you have that special protection. But Paul's saying, God will use Satan as his deliverer of this man. And when he has enjoyed that, enjoyed that for a while, he's gonna come back. So to such a one, cast him out. Uh, Get him out of the church. Verse six, your boasting is not good. You know, they, they were saying probably something in the reports that Paul was receiving, like, well, you know, we are so proud of how tolerant we are. We are above everyone else, right? We are the church of love. Our doors are open to anybody and all. We do not have any kind of form you have to fill out, we don't make, go through an ethical list. We just recognize that everything is God's creation. Oh, no. He says, no, this boasting, put it aside. This is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Paul is now going back to the bread making. Very common for a Jew. You know, you had leaven, kind of like yeast, not exactly the same thing probably, but they made sort of a sourdough bread. And if you know anything about the process, you take leaven and you make it. It's a bacteria and it, able to make bread amongst other things rise right but all you had to do was keep a little bit of it in your home and then add flour and water and take a chunk of that leaven and mix it together and over time that would rise it was very common for people in Paul's day to do this on a daily basis and when the bread had risen they would put it in their oven and that was their nourishment for the day And you didn't ever have to replace that leaven. It would do this on a continual basis. Just keep it in your home. And Paul's saying, that's what's happening with this sin in your midst. It's like leaven. Because you refuse to address it, it is causing the rest of you to fall into sin. It is spreading. It is influencing. And you need to be aware of that. Then he uses a second command with leaven. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Paul, they all knew what he was saying. Because of the Passover festival, the Jewish homes had leaven, but on the morning that the Passover lamb is typically sacrificed, the women of the house would be going through the bowls, cups, uh, their oven wherever that leaven could be and they were gathering it picking it out any little bits and the whole thing was to make your house clean or free of leaven before the passover feast it could not be there and then the bread that you made for the passover feast had to be unleavened bread and then re- right on top of passover would be the celebration the feast of unleavened breads it would be seven days of no leaven. This meant that at least once a year your leaven lump had to be cleansed, had to be taken out. So when Paul says get rid of that old leaven cleanse out the old leaven. He's basically saying those things that happened to you before the cross, you know when you became a Christian, let's say the cross is right here he said you stood here, you were full of sin. We talked about this while we preached on sanctification a few weeks ago he says that's one thing But once you become a believer and you cross to this side, and the cross is something that fills you and inspires you, you no longer can live like the old leaven. You can't live that old life. And yet we all do, don't we? We all bring some aspects of our pre-Christ lives with us into a relationship, into the church. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Cleanse it. Get rid of it. And the main thing here is to start over, have a new beginning. You are really unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We're already on this side of the cross. There's no reason for this. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil. So let's not come into the church and celebrate our relationship with Christ with the way that we used to be, right? but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's be new people. That's what Paul's encouraging the church. He's saying, church, quit thinking that this is good, that people can just live any way they want and be acceptable to the Lord and participate in the church. There are standards. Basically, Paul is saying, God is the creator. He made you and I. He's our sustainer. He continually watches over us your heart beats because god wills it to beat you are not your own the pride of humankind is to think they don't need god they don't need him the problem for humankind is that this god has said this is right this is wrong and we want to argue with him don't we we want to say well you don't understand the situation you know, those things that used to be wrong, those happened way back in history. We're not sure why people used to follow those ethical beliefs. Today, well, we're tolerant. We have the doors wide open. They can, we can do anything we want. But Paul's saying, no, you gotta listen to what God's saying. Listen to what he is saying. And do not be like the people around you. And in this case, in Corinth, they were even worse than the people around them. Verse 9, I wrote to you my letter to not associate with sexually immoral people. So there's a reference to the letter I was talking about at the beginning. I wrote to you a letter, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So Paul's saying this, he gives us a list of a few sins to think about he's not just talking about sexual immorality he lists some sins just like in Galatians 5 verse 19 if you ever get a chance look that up Paul lists about 10 uh, sins that he did not want the church to participate in ever he picks out a few of them for this section because these sins that he mentions in the first century mind are normally associated with some kind of sexual deviancy. Drunkenness. You're a drunkard. Well, that happens because you go to a feast, and you glutton, and you drink, and afterwards, there is sexual immorality, right? All these sins have something to do in that area. But Paul is saying, look at anything that you're doing that calls attention to the church in a negative way, stop doing it. We have a different code, a different ethic, but he's saying this, and this is really the point of what he is saying as we read down to verse 11, but now I'm writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I don't know how you get around that. It's pretty clear. Paul is calling, as he does through many of his epistles, as Jesus does in Matthew 18, to not associate, to avoid doing church activities, allowing a certain person in for communion, to eat at the Lord's table, the love feast, none of that. You can't allow that person who is blatantly sinning, refusing to be repentant, to be around you. Now, I have uh, been on a committee at Parkview in the past uh, where we wrote a document on church discipline. What does that mean? How do we do it? And after a year or so of research and everything, you know, it's kind of like you're recovering a lost practice. Churches don't do this very often, do they? I, I, I challenge you, if you're listening this morning, how many times have you been to a congregational meeting where it was announced that someone was going to experience church discipline. Uh, I'm guessing almost never, if ever. And yet Paul is saying, do not eat with such a one. This is the problem with the church of Corinth. Well, we think so highly of ourselves. We're understanding. We're part of the culture. We want to be mixed in. Paul is saying, listen, there's a right way to do that, And there's a wrong way he does want them to be part of the world he's not calling for them to be separatistic if you notice as he writes right after this in verse 12 for what have I to do with judging outsiders is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge God will judge those outside Paul's saying this I'm not talking about separatism I'm not saying let's get away From the world, you know that's that's happened way too often in Christian circles, especially uh, back. I can remember when I first became a believer and I went to a college, uh, Christian college, and we weren't allowed to drink, to smoke, to dance, to play cards, couldn't have facial hair. And I remember asking the guy, uh, the dean of students, why? What is? What's the deal with that? I just I was a new believer, relatively speaking, and I just didn't understand it. Show me in Scripture where it says this stuff. And then you get involved with different Christian groups and they do, they love to preach about the sins of the world you know it's the world is doing this and the world is doing that's not what Paul is saying here we're supposed to go out into the world we're supposed to mix it up we don't have to separate from them we're not afraid of what the world will do one man wrote the church has nothing to fear from a Christ-less world, but they have everything to fear from a Christ-less church. You see, the separatism, it doesn't happen with the world. It happens right here. Paul says, "I am not here to judge what the Gentiles out there, the pagans, are doing. I'm never going to stop the, the temple rituals for Diana. I'm never going to stop the Romans from worshiping their emperor. But what I can do is come to the church and say, you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. Not the world. We have to be distinctively different. And Paul says, I will judge the church. That's not a comfortable thing for us to read, is it? I don't take comfort in reading that. That's, it's a scary thing. But again, I think what Paul is talking about here is an issue of attitude. We all sin. We all do things that doesn't please Christ our Lord. But what's your attitude when you sin? Are you repentant? When that's brought to your attention, maybe by another believer, do you repent? Jesus in Matthew 18 tells us that's the way to go. He gives us an outline of how to do this discipline, right? Three steps. If you have a brother that has offended you in the Lord you go to them and say hey guess what you've offended me I'm calling you out on this particular action that you're doing or attitude and that person should repent but in case they don't you go and get witnesses other people that have seen the same thing and he says step two let's go together and talk to this man I've been involved in a few of those and it's not easy and it's not fun. But yet, I have not yet found a man who has just immediately fallen on his knees and said, God, please forgive me. I repent of my behavior. Instead, we get proud. We get stubborn. Say, no. And the third step is what Jesus says. Let this man be like a tax collector to you. Cast him out. Paul says that in 2 Thessalonians, he says it here in 1 Corinthians, he says it in Romans, it's all over the New Testament, and yet we never talk about it. The church has to be different. The whole purpose of the church with the world is for us to model a countercultural standard of living. It's not to judge them, it's just to show that there's something different about us who claim that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And we as a church, it's not about an individual, our pastor is really righteous. I'm telling you, when you put your focus on men, you're going to be disappointed every time, right? I mean, haven't we just seen this recently? Jerry Falwell Jr., Ravi Zacharias. I mean, you can just go down the list, Bill Hybels, and so many people. And I, I'm always amazed when I hear believers say, well, I'm, I'm out of the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I hate them. I mean, they said this and they said that, and they preached this and they preached that, and then they live behind the scenes. Underneath the surface, just like the world. Well, I tell you, when you put your focus on men, you're going to be disappointed. There is no such thing as a great man. There is only a great God. Our focus has to be on Jesus Christ. Our focus has to be right on the Lord, Savior. When we come together, it's a time for repentance. Confess your sins to one another as it says in 1 John 1, 1.9, right? Sing these songs of praise. Lift your voices up in gratitude that the Savior has cleansed you. When you come in here on a weekly basis or you go to your community group or you're in a Bible study, there should be a time where you are regularly confessing your sin to Christ. What the church at Corinth had gotten mixed up was that they thought that when they got together, They could just be nice and overlook and not make life uncomfortable for anyone. But that's not the way the walk with Christ is. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable. Sometimes it's painful. But oh, is it right? Oh, is it good when we come in repentance to the Lord and we stand before him in boldness at that throne room of grace and Jesus welcomes us. Let's not let sin exist in the midst of us, is what Paul's saying, unaddressed, uncalled out. Let's help each other to repent and to live for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. May you just bless us as we live for you. This is not an easy passage, Lord. Uh, Many of us are stuck in sinful lifestyles, sins that we repeat over and over But Lord, may our heart attitude be, no matter how many times we do that, be one of real repentance. May we come to you and give those sins to you. And may we choose to live in the light of your word and in the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may this church and all churches, Father, reflect your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.